This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. We are not experts in any of the subjects we discuss, so please enjoy accordingly. As always, there are spoilers in this episode. Welcome to SWAT, people. I'm Sunny. And I'm Scooter. And today, we're discussing the TV show, Deadlock. Which we just finished the last episode now. As a matter of fact, we're recording on the day the last episode dropped. We are. And I would, I do want to point out, because this is such a rarity, I'm the one who suggested this to Scooter because I watched the first, all but the last episode, uh, because it hadn't come out yet. And then I was like, Scooter, you got to watch this because I enjoyed it so much. With shows and movies, usually I'm the one doing the recommending, but I, I think, especially over the course of the show... We'll co- probably cover more Sunny recommended TV shows than movies for sure. Um, yeah, I tend to enjoy a, a longer format. I think this is also why I tend to enjoy books over movies. I think movies are so short that it's hard to really get a sense of a character. It's hard to establish a really good character arc. I love a slow burn. You can't really get that in a in a movie a lot of times it's it's difficult unless the movie is painfully long i also think um you tend to get story hangover so if you watch a, you know when you finish a show you'll usually before you move on to the next thing that you want to listen to maybe do like a palate cleanser something that's a comfort watch or read or listen or whatever um and i think you know a movie's a couple hours long. It would probably be frustrating for you to, you know, do a good movie and then need a palate cleanser before the next thing. Whereas a TV show you can watch over the course of a few days. Yeah, it they are good for that. But I kind of have a, a bit of a story hangover for this one because I found myself Googling shows that give you the same feeling <laughs> uh, before the final had come out. Yeah, it's... Which I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised if there were many. It's this felt. I unique. got a list, but it is. This is really unique. It's beautiful. It's so good. Why don't you give us a sort of synopsis of the show, full with spoilers? Um, or why don't we have sort of like the premise, and then we can go through the season? How do you want to do that? Does that make sense? Yes. So I, the premise of the show, the spoiler-free, just like. If someone wanted to get you to watch this and they recommended it to you, um, it is a sh- is it New Zealand or Australia? It's Australia, right? From Australia, I think one of the leads is from New Zealand. It's a small town in the very southern part of Australia, where it's almost Antarctic style. Um, a dead body turns up on a beach. The town is called Deadlock. Yes, so it's they have a lake. They don't have, like, a proper coastal beach. It's, you know, dead lake, and it's the lake is the lock. Anyway, dead body turns up, and it is a town that has a high population. It's a very small town. has a high population of lesbians that all sort of moved there as a group. Sort of recently in this town, it has become a sort of feminine paradise-like destination, much to the chagrin of the... uh, somewhat misogynist uh, longer-term members of the town. Yeah, most of the men. There's also the undercurrent of sort of like talking about indigenous cultures and how a lot of people who 
grew up in the town, can't afford to live there anymore. It's a story about gentrification, about performative wokeness, for lack of a better word, um, and just sort of all wrapped up in this bizarre murder mystery. Uh, I think so. I think we're getting a little too bogged down in themes here. The the short pitch of the show. It's a town with, it's an old-timey town with a recently moved-in population of lesbians, one of whom is the senior sergeant for the police station. So her and her wife moved there from Sydney, where she used to be a big-time detective, and she has promised her wife she would not do any more big-time detective work. So when a body turns up, she promises she won't lead the investigation. She's just going to handle it until the new detective is sent down from a different district. That detective gets there, and she is... She's a lot. She's kooky. She's odd. Uh, she's kind of very gross and in your face. And uh, Detective Collins, our, our local, uh, thinks that she, the detective that's been sent there is not up to the task. So her wife's chagrin. She stays on the case. And as her and this detective are sort of arguing over how to handle this and trying to hash out their investigative styles... More bodies start turning up until they realize that it may, in fact, be a serial killer on the loose. And the series is about them hunting this killer. So that's the spoiler-free pitch. Uh, so from here on out, there will be spoilers. Well, I fucking love it, obviously. <laughs> I think it is very funny. I think it, because you and I, uh, this is after the Starship Troopers episode, so I think we have kind of fully divulged exactly how far left we really are mm-hmm. potentially. Um, but I think a pet peeve for you and I is sort of this performative kind of leftism and progressiveness and the idea that people do things to look like good people rather than doing things that actually help. And I think this one really poked fun at that. Um, I think, uh, well, I guess, I don't know if I have shared this on the podcast. I, I'm i bi, so so I'm, I have dated women, I have dated men, obviously. Scooter's Wait, here. You've dated, I've dated men. You've dated men? That's disgusting. <laughs> uh, you're uh, getting a little... Uh, Worrisome here. You got any knives? You gonna sing Alanis Morissette? No. I mean, I might sing Alanis Morissette. I do have knives. Gator, I'm starting to get worried. Y'all, if we never have another episode, he did it. Yes, if we never had another episode, it's because I have eliminated the medium of podcasting through powerful shamanic means. You're a shaman now? No, but... If there are no more podcasts, it will be because I have become a shaman. I see. I see. Well, well, moving on. <laughs> so I think the, you know, the bits we left out of the, the short synopsis there that um, Sunny's kind of digging into is that it's the backdrop of the show is this, you know, little fairly conservative town that's had a recent influx of lesbians who have moved there from Sydney because one of the women there as a teenager moved away when she came out as a lesbian because she was getting bullied and 
her and a large group of their friends from Sydney all decided to move to back to the small town together to kind of get away from their stressful lives in Sydney. From their perspective, they feel like they have sort of revitalized the town, if you will. There's a new female mayor, and she has sort of built a festival around, like, lesbian art and stuff. And the people who used to live there, there's a, you know, a cadre of sort of misogynist and homophobic men who are not happy with the changes. There are a group of uh, Aboriginal locals who were already not happy with the fact that, you know, they've been struggling to reclaim part of their land that's there. They tried to get ownership of a small island in the lake that was the people who own it now turned them down. Uh, and they're not happy with the arrival of the lesbians because it has caused rents to go up. And, you know, there's some messages about gentrification there. And so the backdrop of all of this is like, you know, it's a liberalism, but shades of it, including, you know, performative, actual, in between. Yeah. There's also discussion of the role of police and whether police are good or bad. And frankly, I, I kind of liked that in this because I know your official do not do it. I know your official stance on police. Uh, What's my official stance on police? That they're not invited to the bubble ball. Uh, bubble bowl. They're for sure not invited to the bubble ball. So, but um, I think there that was paired nicely. I like it was explored through the lens of sort of misogyny because the, the commissioner, is that what they're called? I can't remember, but the man who is in charge, the, the man cop in charge of everything that sends Eddie down to deadlock and puts Dulcie on the case um, is a raging misogynist. And, you see how policing is enforced through a male lens. And then you see sort of how Eddie and Dulcie go about it. Don't get me wrong. Eddie is weird. I don't know that Eddie is a good cop, but Eddie weird. Um, and Dulcie sort of treats everybody with compassion, which to me is what I think policing should be about. Like, uh, I think we had a friend who said he at one point wanted to be a cop and somebody goes, well, you're too nice and smart. <laughs> and wouldn't you want your police to be nice and smart? Yes. And uh, to be fair, this takes place in Australia. Certainly they have a different police culture than us. But, you know, we are in the camp of all cops are bastards. I'm sure that they're, the police in Australia probably likely need some reforms as well. Well, I'm not, I am not well versed in exactly how Australian policing works. I know there is a lot of violence and lack of solving cases that involve indigenous people and aboriginal women in particular but to be fair i don't want to weigh in on something i'm not i'm not super familiar with to be fair every country where the people who live there are not the people who uh, are native to that place Virtually all of them have problems not solving crimes related to indigenous people. So that is true. Certainly not a unique problem. I, I feel like this this show wasn't necessarily pro cop. I think that's part of why it works that it was set in a small town is because 
there isn't really a, a system here. You know, there's not like a court system that is putting people away for various ridiculous crimes. It's just like a couple of small town cops who are doing their best. And so it helps you, I think, relate to them without. Yeah. Yeah. I, in the opening scene, well, the opening scene is two of them having sex, but then she leaves and she immediately sees a cab on her. Spray painted on a dumpster across from her. Yes, which is hilarious. Is. I was like, "Oh, we're not going to shy away from this." Yes, and well, and in the show, it's I think something that's great about it too is that everybody is kind of sucks. It reminds me a little bit of I remember a long time ago, Sunny, when these shows were both popular and sort of were thought of as in a similar vein. Um, Third, when Thirty Rock and Parks and Rec were on the show. You said that uh, 30 Rock is a show where everybody in it is a fundamentally bad person, and Parks and Rec is a show where everyone's a fundamentally good person. Yeah. This is very much in the vein of everybody's terrible. Like, everybody's flaws are on display. Everybody is, like, about as annoying as you would expect that kind of person to be. But I think it's in the middle, because it's not everybody is fundamentally good and everyone is fundamentally terrible. It's just everybody kind of sucks because they're human. Yes, I agree. I don't mean to say that it's making a judgment about the people being like genuinely bad people. I just meant, you know. Yeah. So I think maybe the way we should get into this is start talking about the murders and then we can kind of talk about the cast of characters as they go with it. So the first murder is, well, the first body we see is Trent Latham who is the coach of the local football club. Uh, he, <laughs> he and his brother, who both have like long rap sheets or misogynists are kind of just shitty in general. Um, they're trying to get started. They're fitness people, and that's how they make their money. But they, they're trying to start a company called ProBro. <laughs> and it's as douchey as it sounds. Yes, and they are, um, so they are tied to all those, this, like, we find out sort of through the first murder, that there's like, this is sort of the false lead of it, there's like a, kind of a, a system of cronies in the town, where like, so the, the Latham brothers are like, this generation's asshole misogynists, but there is like an older pair of guys, uh, Phil McGannis, McAngus, not McAngus, <laughs> um, who owns the local football club, and then there was and uh, a bar in like a lumber mill. Well, it was uh, he he owns several businesses. He does now because he co-owned them with the two other guys who were murdered. Oh yeah, not I was I hadn't gotten to them yet, but yes, him Sam O'Dwyer who was murdered and the town's former mayor all co-owned the sawmill together. So we don't know Sam O'Dwyer was murdered at this point. We haven't figured this out in the narrative of the mystery is what I'm saying. So that nobody's like, Oh, I, when did this body come up? You know? Yes. So at, when we sort of learn all of this, there's the former mayor who died and his body washed up. He was assumed to have been drowned. Uh, and that was like five years ago. And around the same time, Sam O'Dwyer, disappeared and people assumed he also drowned or ran away or something he disappeared so 
we find out later that they're connected but um i th- what that means essentially is that like when that group sort of fell apart phil mcangus ended up sort of owning a lot of things and then the former mayor's wife also basically took over the family money yeah and the former mayor's wife is margaret carruthers I believe so. Yes. And she is funding a lot of the new sort of feminist stuff happening in the town. And then another note, which I find very funny because of how it connects. So the way that they connect that these were all murders and not he, that Rod washes up on the beach and he had just drowned is that all of them are missing their tongues. Their tongues have been cut out. And the blame for the missing tongue on the former mayor when he washed up was they thought one of the loose seal, uh, a loose seal that just kind of hangs out around the town, whose name is Kevin, <laughs> ate, the, ate the tongue. And so Dulcie's wife, Kath, who is a character we will get into along the way, refuses to let anybody feed Kevin or tranquilize him. Uh, she's a vet, so she's very protective of Kevin and keeps advocating. Kevin would never eat a tongue. He He's not a man-eater. <laughs> and we find out she was correct. Yes. As she states, she often is. She is annoying in how correct she is all the time because she is also... She's also just a pain in the ass. Yeah, that's sort of what I was talking about earlier with the, like, everybody is terrible. It's not that everyone is morally bad it's just that like everyone is sort of awful to each other in a lot of ways like it's everyone is it's sort of resolved near the end but they're all basically very very selfish in how they're acting and so it's you you don't go into this like really necessarily rooting for anybody there's one character but anyways uh i do think a way to frame that because i don't know if you've ever lived in a really small town have you No, I don't think so. The show captures small town bullshit in a really good way. Of There's just always weird drama. Everybody has some kind of grudge against one group of people or another. And like you get real cliquish. Yeah, absolutely. And um, there are small-minded people. And then there are people who are also small-minded, but they think they're not. And because for whatever reason, which is kind of how a lot of the sort of interloping lesbians are. And that they think I'm I'm very, very progressive, but they don't really look outside themselves. Um, Yeah. I don't know. It, it really, to me, I think is if you're trying to characterize how these people are bad, it's like small, petty, uh, tiny town bullshit. Yes, so they suspected that Gavin murdered Trent because there was uh, some footage of them from a a nearby boat's security camera of them arguing and fighting the night of the murder, and then they disappeared. Um, So through that, we meet... um, So we we meet Trent's uh, widow, I believe widow named Vanessa, at the very least the woman he was dating, yeah, I think she was, she's his baby mama, sort of. Yes. Spoiler alert. So we we meet Vanessa and Dolph. I be, yes, I believe she was his girlfriend at the time. And it, uh, yes, so. Yeah, and then, Vanessa and Dolph. Vanessa is a lot. She's um, 
very vocally homophobic, uh, very trashy, like not in a fun way, like, but in like a. She is the characteristic kind of like if you wanted to characterize someone who is poor and tacky, um, Americans would call it trashy. I think the English have a better word for this, like that matches a little better, but like chavy. Yes. At least from my perspective as an American. <laughs> so I might be totally wrong. Yes. So she she's fairly selfish, like not to get too far into spoilers, what we learn about her, but like she has experienced a lot of really terrible treatment from men and describes this as I've always gotten a lot of attention from men because I'm so beautiful. That's why I don't have female friends. They can't handle how much attention I get from men. But when she, you know, she, when she describes how these men treat her, it's just awful. Yeah, they, they victimize her. Um, it, we will later find out that one of the men who was killed um, committed statutory rape. Uh, and he, he, he had a sexual relationship with her when she was like 16. Um, the men that she has dated are all either abusers or philanderers. Um, they all suck. So that's sort of who Vanessa is. And she frames it. And I think in the epilogue, what we will see is um, that Vanessa starts learning to grow and maybe reframe how she thinks about things, which uh a lot of the shit that we don't like about Vanessa, I think, is a product of unprocessed and unhealed trauma. And I think she's designed to be that way. Yes. Well, I also think a lot of it is not things that she thinks and believes. They're things that the men in her life think and believe. Yes. And she is, unfortunately, dependent on them financially, especially for her son. So she kind of allows them to use her a lot. And so a lot of what she's saying and doing that's terrible is really her just repeating the kinds of things that Trent and Gavin said. And then after their deaths, what Phil is saying. Phil's the local owner of the football club who is kind of, he's like the head misogynist, essentially. Yeah, he's sort of the patriarch of the patriarchal fashion, faction. Yes. Um, that's one of the clues we learn in the investigation is that the terrible former mayor had planned to retire and set up Phil to win the next election. But when he died, his widow threw all of her money behind the woman who ran and she got elected. She's funny because she is super type A, like to the point that she is so tightly wound um, that she's angry all the time <laughs> um, because she's so, so stressed. Yes. And her husband's hilarious. So let's sort of move into because she's there near the beginning. But uh, so after they suspect Gavin, Gavin turns up dead. And at this point, they link the former mayor's death as part of the murder because they find out from his old, they dig up his uh, grave and find out that his tongue is also missing. So his, let's get into his circle of people because that kind of touches on the mayor because I think the mayor is the way she is. Again, because she has been bought by somebody. Yes. And that is uh, Margaret uh, Carruthers. Carruthers. So she, she comes from the Carruthers family, who I believe are the ones with all the money, because her brother controlled a lot of it, too. 
Yeah, so they're the people, and this gets challenged, but we're going to put it how they put it. it. They're the people who founded the town. And then you will have various indigenous characters go, uh, founded? Yes, they colonized the town. Was, mm-hmm. So, all right, so the Rod, was it Ron or Rod? It's Rod. Rod. Rod Dixon, Rod, I think. Rod Dixon was the former mayor of the town. We also find out that he was a real bag and uh, misogynist and so when he died he was the owner of the lumber mill so his wife inherited his money and then combined with her family's money she sort of broke out of his shadow and started she started this like scholarship fund which is a school uh, yes well so she had the the school and she would also give she had these grants because remember the uh, barber had one the mayor got one yeah, uh, the hairdresser had one. Hairdresser, yes. Barbers are for men, allegedly. Uh, Sonny, since we're examining gender here. Gender, um, gender is nonsense, and I, I believe here. This might be radical. This might be too radical for some of you out there. And if this is too radical for you, I don't think you belong in our audience. But I think women can go to the barber too if they want. <laughs> and if you're not on board with that, why don't you go? Do something that conservatives do. I don't keep track of their activities. Didn't know I married a Bolshevik. Hell yeah, baby. I'm a red. I'm one of them dirty commies. All right, let's move on. Before this gets, before this goes in a new direction. So, I, you know, I think we're going to kind of dip in and out of spoilers as we go, like jump ahead. So her whole deal, Margaret's whole deal is that she has set up this like scholarship fund and special gifted school in the town with a focus on improving women. But what she's really doing is buying people and like picking them out and choosing who she wants to like quote unquote save. So she basically funds the, so the mayor is the town's doctor and she basically funds her campaign to get her elected. And so as such, we see in a lot of the early episodes, the mayor is at her house constantly and kind of doing her, not her bidding, but like you can tell that she's very influenced by the mayor. And we also see this with the kids. She picks some kids and she even tells one girl like, well, if I gave money to help, uh, everybody who asked me then there wouldn't be as much for really special people like you yeah um but yeah so she's basically using her fortune to like buy her way into prominence for this town she's doing exactly what the men in her life who died did before she's colonizing the town but she's doing it under this guise of advancing women's causes and progressivism but she's just doing cronyism yeah so she's um She's really where the critique of white feminism comes in. And, like, she's also the reason that a lot of lesbians move in because they are, well, so it's a mix of them. They're coming back and sort of changing the town. Yes. So uh, Sky O'Dwyer decides to move home and open a restaurant and brings a lot of her friends from Sydney with her. And it's around that time. Yeah. That hap- so that happens first because of spoiler alert who the killer actually is. It has to happen first. No, cause... I know. I I know. Um, I think I think that's a a weird way to phrase it though. 
but no, I get you. I get what you're saying. I th- so I think Sky O'Dwyer moving back to town to open her restaurant was the catalyst for the like shift in all the changes for women. Sky O'Dwyer is a butch lesbian who is a chef. Um, she is the daughter of Sam O'Dwyer, who was one of the three guys, three guys running the town previously. He is also dead. We later find out that he is a victim of the serial killer. Um, but really, he has just sort of like gone missing one day. Like they thought he just ran off on his family. Yes. And so he... Sky O'Dwyer opens a restaurant in town. That restaurant is called The Bush Wolf. Because uh, the symbolism here is also not subtle. Yes, it's she, you know <laughs> she says it because they you know live in a rural place and you know, but yes, it is very well. And uh, so, as far as like the guys who used to own so much of the town, he owned the town bar, which is she has converted that into the Bush Wolf. Yes. Um. Which is also a hotel. And it's super modern and weird uh, because Eddie stays there for a couple nights and uh, she gets upset because (laughs) the bathrooms don't close. The bathrooms are open. And so she makes Dulcie sit on a toilet and she goes, you can just see somebody taking a shit right there. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Okay. So to bridge the group we're talking about now, Sky and her friends and all them with the mayor thing. So the mayor's ex-wife becomes a prime suspect when they link all three. Well, I skipped a step. So when they link all three, they realize in the security footage that Sam O'Dwyer's boat has shown up in town. So they believe that Sam O'Dwyer killed the mayor five years ago and fled. And then when he came back to town, killed the other two. And there's arguments over whether this is about drugs or whatever. But they... Land on Sam O'Dwyer as a suspect, and as soon as they do, Sam O'Dwyer's body turns up, killed in the exact same way as the others. So they believe that uh, Rod was the first killed, so they're investigating his wife. And then as they find out her alibi, they also discover that Sam was actually the one who died first, but he he died, went missing, then the mayor died, and then Sam's disappearance was reported a week later so now the focus shifts over to sky o'dwyer and um vic o'dwyer who is the widow of sam o'dwyer yes because they believe that the first murder is emotional like the one that starts the spree is meaningful in some way Yes, they basically, they believe that Sam O'Dwyer was killed for personal reasons, and then all the murders afterwards are basically a copy of that mm-hmm. uh, situation, so. The other reason they believe that is, the other reason they switched their focus is, I believe they find out that one of the bodies had barbiturates in it, and so they say, oh, a woman had to have done this, because men who are serial killers kill for show and attention women kill for a reason and women are also poisoners yes uh so they actually so then afterwards they discover that all of the bodies have the poison in it except for sam o'dwyer's that's how they that's how they realize he was first is because he was knocked unconscious by a blow to the head 
and then afterwards they were recreating that with the pentabarbital and that's so then they realized sam was first and they start investigating his daughter and widow they focus more on the daughter because vic i think has a bad hip or replacement yes. hip uh and she's in her 70s yes so uh guy is in sydney sky has an alibi yes well i think if we're talking you know going through the characters and stuff now's a good time to talk about all the lesbians yes so sky o'dwyer left deadlock as a teenager moved to sydney uh her what's her fiance's name or wife oh no i don't remember it's like it ends in like a Lee or a Lynn, I think. I don't know. Well, she, her wife is undergoing IVF treatments. They want to get pregnant. And Sky also has a son. I already has a son, and her wife is going through IVF so that she can have one and they can have two kids. The, so those two, while they're in Sydney, became friends with uh, Dulcie, our local uh, sergeant. And her wife, Kath, who's the veterinarian who used to be a lawyer when they lived in Sydney. Their lives in Sydney were very stressful. So when Sky moved back to uh, Deadlock, they came with. And they brought with a few friends, I believe. Um, their therapist. Their, their, th- their therapist, Claire. Uh, who is unhinged. She also leads the choir that sings an a cappella version of I Touch Myself by the Divinals. Yes. Um, there is Sky's former pastry chef, Ray, who I don't remember his real last name because they call him Ray Pies because he's a pastry, pastry chef. Um, he used to work for Sky and now works for Sky's mother, Vic, who owns a local bakery. Yes. And then who else do we have on that list? Is the ma- No, the mayor's not. The mayor's married to a man. Um, I think those are the only ones that we really know pretty well. Uh, yes, I think as far as that like friend group goes, because all the other ones are people who are visiting for the festival, the festival. Yeah. So to coincide with the restaurant opening, they're hosting a winter festival that they're calling the festival, where they're hosting a bunch of like lesbian artists and they're doing like yoga retreats and it's very much pitched at like rich white lesbians like yuppies we'll talk about this later but there's a cinema aquatica in which they're all on floaties in the lake and they're watching a movie and the therapist has made a movie that is four hours long called poseidon's uterus it was not the therapist i don't i don't remember who it was but it was like Four hours long, and we don't really get much about it, except that there's a lot of water in it, and you see a lot of her tits. Yes. My other favorite joke from that is they host an art exhibit in the uh, activities in like the local like town rec center on the same day that they're using the other half of the rec center to DNA test every man in town when they think that the killer's a man. And uh, the half of the places for DNA testing and the other half is an art exhibit for a lesbian artist named Dina Tetzin. And so there are side-by-side signs pointing in opposite directions and one says DNA testing and the other one says Dina Tetzin. Yeah. And so there's confusion, obviously. 
The yes. weird art is so good. The weird art is so good. So that I this is a good time. We're talking about that event. It's a good time to bring up um Bath. In the oh, sorry. No. Um Sven and Big Eyes. Sven and Big Eyes. I love Sven and Big Eyes. Big Eyes, who I believe is either Anne or Anna. I think Anna. Yeah, I can't even remember. She is the uh, the constable and is dating the coroner who used to be her professor. Yeah, in... he was her lecturer whenever she was trying to study forensic. His yes. name is James. His name is James. He is the worst character on the show, including the serial killer. <laughs> um, he is a slapdick. He is a gigantic slapdick. Perfect use of the word. Thank you, my love. It's slap dick o'clock at the coroner's office. So he was her professor. He made her drop out of school so that their relationship wouldn't be considered inappropriate. Yeah. Uh, he constantly steals her ideas. He nags her. her. He nags her. He is super lazy and complains about how much work she's asking him to do while also telling her that she needs to do more work and like... Oh my god, he is like so incredibly punchable. Yeah, he's the worst. Oh god, yeah. So that's Anna and Sven. Anna is super competent. She's actually very talented at forensic and uh, experimental work and stuff. And we find out in the show that she's probably better at it than James, but he's a douchebag. And then... Well, James is just up his own ass the whole time. Like at one point in the show, he runs off to go uh, do a TEDx talk in Perth. And the corner he phoned in that morning just to like cover stuff gave them so much more help in one episode than he gives them in the rest of the series. Yes, the reason he's even at the TEDx talk is not for anything good that he did. One of the murder bodies was saponified because it was stuck in the lake for so long. Yes. And it was just a rare thing. He goes, oh, they want me for a TEDx talk in Perth. And he disappears. For those who don't know, saponification is the process by which soap is made. It's when a base and a lipid bind together and make soap. They combine a lipid and base. The base usually being a lie. Base. Anyway. For more fun soap facts, join us next month. I've been trying to turn off of James for so long. The We're other... talking about soap now, baby. <laughs> audience, audience, if you're listening, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to... Sh- because the other constable is Sven. Sven's great. Sven is hilarious. Sven is so great, fairly smart, does not want to be a cop, is miserable being a cop. And so he does everything except for be a cop in a hilarious way. And he will frequently interrupt them anytime they're trying to talk about the case if they sort of speak about any sort of social issue incorrectly like he will often jump in and be like you know since we don't know if it's a man or a woman we should just use they because gender is really a spectrum and it's honestly a good habit for us to to, and it's stuff like that and like at one point they're interrogating somebody because they found phenobarbital in his 
closet and he thought that they were talking about the dresses he keeps in his closet he interrupts the interview he goes you brought him in because he was wearing a dress that is so absolutely profiling that's homophobic is what he said because Sven is also Sven is gay he's hilarious about talking about some of his stuff but he's uh, very funny at the end and uh, we'll get to this don't let me forget yes Sven is Sven is really so great. good. So Sven is uh, just, he's so sweet too. He just wants to be nice to people. Yes, he is nice to, I, w- I wouldn't say nice to a fault, but like overly chatty, uh, sort of j- jumps at the chance to do anything that isn't police work so at one point they interview a priest and the priest is writing a screenplay for a tv show about a priest who solves sexy murders yes (laughs) called father inspector or inspector father and (laughs) he solves quote sexy murders and so when he sends over his list of parishioners he includes four copies of the screenplay and sven is the only one who reads it and it ends up giving them uh evidence because it reveals that sam uh, Sky O'Dwyer knew about her father's affairs, but God, it's been so long since we've talked about the mystery, and I'm loving it. This is great. I kind of just like talking about the well, because he bases all of this, all of the um, confessions in his play on actual confessions in the town. Yes, which it's... is so fucking funny to me because he faxed four copies. <laughs> yeah, so like Sky O'Dwyer, which is this is Sam O'Dwyer, was changed to like. Pam McGuire or something like that, and that's how they yeah, figure it's out. Just, these are obviously just real people. Yeah, it was poorly disguised, but very funny. So, I thought something interesting, kind of in what we were talking about there. Uh, how many characters, in particular, how many men who were already in the town before the lesbians arrived were gay? And yeah, so the town had a gay population and it was like the the and it was part of why i think the show was very much highlighting misogyny is that as homophobic as they were being they were targeting the lesbians more so than any of the gay men in town because vanessa's son is gay sven is gay um mike who was the constable before them was gay well i think that's sort of true oh, no, to the was- nature of misogyny Mike wasn't gay because Mike ends up with the hairdresser. Yeah, Mike's not gay. He's just a crossdresser. Um, but I do think that's sort of indicative of the nature of misogyny in general because the greater offense, so like if men are gay, all they have done is failed to meet the standard of traditional masculinity. Preach. Don't do this. Hear the good word. You know what? It's the soapbox corner. We need to do but, the soapbox corner theme song. Oh no, no. But anyways, um, but like lesbians, and particularly more butch lesbians, are trying to imitate and emulate masculinity, at least in the eyes of sort of a um, patriarchal, in in sort of like a realm of like under the umbrella of patriarchy. What butch lesbians are doing is emulating masculinity. Although I yep. would say that, well, I have feelings on, I think, I think butch lesbianism is still a performance of femininity. It's just a different kind of femininity because they're not trying to be men. They're I like not. The, I like the word femininity. It's got a lot of ends in it. 
<laughs> but anyways, um, these are just my personal thoughts. But I think that um, that's why they're angrier at Sky O'Dwyer. Because they really fucking hate Sky O'Dwyer. Absolutely. Well, I, it's, it's, it's the cross-section of two different kinds of bigotries. You know, they are homophobic, but they are also misogynists. And so Sky O'Dwyer is twice as villainous to them. The next suspect is uh, the, the ex-cop who wears dresses. Yes, he's like the last suspect before Sky. Yeah, um, and that is discovered <laughs> via Sven. Uh, well, Sven coming in and having this conversation, which then prompts the hairdresser who has run in, um, and the hairdresser gossips. And I want to visit revisit her in a second, um, but they both come in, confess their love for one another, and somehow, and then. He explains that the reason he has the phenobarbital is that <laughs> he takes care of his his aging grandmother, who is like the oldest woman in town. And some something like five five or seven years ago, she bought uh, the phenobarbital because she thought she might want uh, to kill herself, and so it's expired. And there's all sorts of it's never been used, but yeah. So that sort of how he gets eliminated but anyways what yeah, i was about to uh, move on to the next thing the hairdresser is great because the hairdresser is where we see this sort of gossip network among the women um because the bartender i can't remember the bartender's name um therese therese, therese yes or? yeah i think it's therese but she's um chanel chanel is it Sherelle? Sherelle. With Sherelle. You got there okay. with Sherelle. <laughs> um, so she has a child she, who is fathered by Gavin Latham, who is the second murder victim. Indeed. Uh, but she doesn't like him. She has a restraining order. It's a whole thing. Um, and then we also, she gossips with big eyes a lot. And Big Eyes gets lots of her information from her gossip. But anyways, yeah, I think so the, it's important to see to show how all the women in town are connected who are not in the lesbian circle. Yes. So the hairdresser, I think the funny thing about that is that they multiple times they get case-breaking uh, evidence or leads from her, and they never ask her any questions. They just go to her salon and get services done, and she talks so much that just being around them, she just starts talking about things related to the case, and eventually will reveal some gossip that they didn't know about, which will move them on to their next. So, um, but the, so the next suspect after uh, Mike is Sky, and this happens because Mike's alibi is that he when he was a cop, Saturday nights he was doing highway patrol, and so he gives them his logs of who he ticketed that night, and they discover that on the night of Sam's death, Sam o Sky O'Dwyer was in town. Yes. So, 
she gets brought in. It kind of goes back and forth. So another dude turns up dead. His name's Jimmy. Uh, they find out that Sky bought him a boat because he was blackmailing her. Um, yes, and they, at the time that they're investigating her, Vanessa also, who is losing her apartment, accepts a bribe from a very pesky local reporter. Uh to talk about who she thinks did the murder and she says that sky hates all the men in town the most and she's a man-hating bitch yes and so when they bring in sky for questioning it basically causes like that mixed with the article causes an angry mob to accuse sky of the murders and for the rest of the season the misogynists in town will use sky as a scapegoat even after her name is cleared yes so Sky is where we start to have things kind of come through. So Sky is one of Dulcie's best friends. Um, Kath is very close to her. We find out at this point uh, that Kath decides she's going to be Sky's attorney. And remember, we said early in the beginning that Sky is uh, that. Kath is a vet. She's also an attorney because she's one of those people who is just smart and good at everything, but she's so goddamn annoying. Uh, she does things. She's trying to buy a hobby farm and she like puts money down on a hobby farm without Dulcie's uh, agreement or knowledge. She uh, is always just doing like weird art shit, like all of the weird lesbian stuff that like the weird lesbian art she's in the center of all of it she goes to a weird performance art uh that is endurance art and this woman just sits in a field for three hours yes and when dulcie picks her up because she's there all day because it starts with in the mornings when that guy excavates the body and he sees her there and then she picks her up at night and she says, how was it? And she goes, oh, it was awful. I had a great time. <laughs> yeah. Kath is weird. Um, she's a little hypersexed, uh, and she doesn't really listen to Dulcie. Um, we do find out that, like, her insecurity is justified because we find out the reason they have moved to Deadlock is be- with Sky is because Dulcie had sex with her last partner. Yes, so th- this is basically, Kath is fairly selfish and kind of has determined the path of their life for them, and Dulcie basically lets it happen, I think, because she feels guilty about the affair she had, and, you know, it's not really until somebody else calls this out that um, they face it head-on, but um, so at this point, since Kath is acting as the lawyer, we find out both that uh, Kath is going to break up with Dulcie for arresting their friend, and Kath knew all along that Skye was the perfect suspect because she knew that the alibi was false. She knew that uh, Skye knew about the affairs. She knew all this information that it took them forever to find out that led them to Skye, and she's been hiding it because she... Uh, as she says in the last episode, she thinks she knows better. So she just does not give critical information to her wife. Uh, and so it's it's betrayals all around, if you will. So 
I think we should get into kind of what goes on with Sky because right now Sky looks pretty guilty. Yes. Um and so what I think we should do is get into what Sky is actually guilty of, who is involved and what's going on there. Yes, because this is what clears her is they discover as they're digging more into her, she won't reveal what she was doing in town that night and she won't reveal what she knows about her dad. Um, so when they find out what she was actually doing, it basically clears a lot of the female suspects they had because they find out that what happened that night is that her mother, Vic, had tried to leave her father and he beat her very seriously. Wait, wait, wait. Her mother, Vic, found out that her father was having sex with 16-year-old Vanessa. 15? Well. And that his boat, the Loch Nessie, is named after her. Yes. But yeah, he carried on an affair with a teenage girl. Yes. And so it's... They knew that Sam was having lots of affairs. I don't know, because I think they said it had been going on with Vanessa for a while, so I don't know if her finding out was the sh- broken straw or whatever, but... I think they, I think she maybe caught him, because um, one of the key pieces of evidence is that Vanessa's pube is in his mouth. Yes, yes, they find a pube in his mouth, and it's it takes them... Forever to figure out who it is, and they only realize it because he is related to the person whose DNA it is. So he is the father. So they kind of reverse engineer who the mother of that baby was. And it's Vanessa's son. So, so that night, he's sleeping with Vanessa. Uh, Vic is going to leave him. So she goes to confront him. Uh, he beats her very seriously. She whacks him in the head with a fireplace poker. He falls out a window. She thinks that he has fallen into the lake and drowned. Uh, he wanders into the road, is picked up by a stranger, brought to uh, the town doctor's house, and is fixed up and taken to the hospital. And that's the same night that... The town doctor is also the mayor. Yes, I think we mentioned that. I can't remember. But, um, yeah, so Sky O'Dwyer is back in town for her mother and to try and help her mother cover things up. So at the town doctor's house, uh, the town doctor sees her, uh, Sherelle, the doctor mayor, uh, and then Sherelle, who is a bartender in Gavin Latham's baby mama. Mm-hmm. Um is there because she is a receptionist for, or she is like a nurse. Cause because she shows up to like the office, not the hospital. She was a custodian. She was, she was, she was cleaning the floors. Okay. Yeah. So she was cleaning the floors. Um, and the widow Carruthers is there because it was while the doctor was running for mayor. Well, no, yes. it wouldn't have been. Yeah. It would have been while she was running for mayor. Cause it's been right before Rob died. So they see that they, um, agree to never speak about it. They make a pact to not talk about it to anyone uh, because they think, you know, he had it coming. Um, and 
you know, off they go. But so that's what Sky O'Dwyer's doing in town. Everybody is culpable. So the prevailing theory here is that um, that this happened, and then the serial killer starts just seeing other women whose husbands and men in their lives are bad to them and killing them off for those people. Yes. So the, once they sort of unravel what happened that night and what Sky was involved with and they realize that she's not, not only is she not the killer, but none of the women they thought were the killers are uh, yeah, viable suspects. So at this time, also, we're having some conflict with the detectives. So there's a dinner party um, where uh, it's outed that Dulcie slept with her last partner, and that's why they left Sydney. And then that that's same... on Dulcie's birthday, yeah. Yeah, it was on Dulcie's birthday. And that same night, um, Eddie gets blind drunk, accidentally talks to a reporter, and so all of this starts getting out that there's like... Uh, that. Eddie doesn't want to be here. Eddie's last partner had died. Um, what the story throughout is he's eaten by a croc. Uh, we do find out towards the end that he was actually murdered. Like he was shot in the head because his body was gone. So they were just like, he got eaten by a crocodile. Turns out he did not. So anyways, um, that's happening, which that does lead to sort of a funny kind of uh, heartwarming thing. So if you remember Ray Pies, uh, also known as Ray Pies, um, <laughs> is at one of the one of the social events and they kind of meet there and he meets um, Eddie and Eddie sort of hot for him. She's always, she's frankly, sexually harassing this man, but he's into it. Uh, so I guess they're flirting. I don't know. So at that point, they find out that his beloved 32-year-old pet donkey dies. And he's like, who's my best friend? And so there's grief. And so they start banging, and she never wants to admit it, but she's really into him. Uh, there's a very funny bit about him being in a ska band. A jazz ska band? I can't remember. A Latino ska band. That's what he said. It was weird. Um, so he's come to deadlock to reinvent himself too. So um, they're having all of this kind of weird shit going on. And they're coming coming together because um, Dulcie is trying to gain her wife's trust back. And the reason that Eddie's here is because her partner died and she's trying to move past that. And she's not allowed to, like she got sent there because nobody wants to talk to her back in Darwin where she's from. Yeah. And we find out after we learn that he was murdered and not eaten by a crocodile, that they sent her there because she said that there was something fishy about his death and they all wanted to just write it off as an accident. And so they sent her down there to basically shut her up. Yeah. So that's going on. Um, so there's personal life drama. Also kind of like the stress of Kath is sort of wearing on Dulcie. Um, and 
that kind of information that she had been keeping was sort of the final straw. So after that, Kath and Dulcie break up in a weird passive-aggressive breakup sort of way because uh, Kath is still representing Sky. Kath makes a threat, and they end up letting Sky out. Yes, so the they think they covered up the murder, but he was not killed by the blow to the head, so they realized none of them did it. And so when Kath says, hey, you need to release all the clients because the maximum capacity in the jail cell is three and there's four of them, I'll submit, you know a court order to do it so they let them all go but they're really letting them go because they i think have figured out that it's definitely not any of the women Mm -hmm. and they put together that the random person who picked up vic that night must have been the killer yeah well and so this also comes to a head because they keep going through um when Sky O'Dwyer gets released, the men of the town have this very, it's a very evocative scene, like not evocative. That's not the word. I don't know. I guess it is. It evokes images you already know. So the men form this mob um, and they show up at the press conference and they're like talking about, Right now, we know that the serial killer is targeting men, so we really urge people to exercise extra caution. Um, And they start yelling about, they're carrying tiki torches, and they start yelling about, the men don't need to protect themselves. The killer needs to not be on the streets. It shouldn't be our responsibility, you know? And the best bit of that is, um, you wouldn't understand, and and you women wouldn't understand. <laughs> Tulsi I mean, goes, I assure you, the women understand the concept. <laughs> I think the funniest part about that is that they have referred to this event, and they are chanting at this event that they're going to take back the night. Yes, it's so good. Yeah, yes, so as funny as it is, that scene is also... Um, really intense because they are on their way to lynch sky yes they are it is it is terrifying and like it 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 evokes images of like tiki tiki torches and um charlottesville like it reminds you of charlottesville where someone did die supposed to be that yeah and it, it was just it was a lot but Oh yeah, up to Chanting Tate back the night was very funny. Up to and including their their protest, which is supposed to be a mockery of a woman's protest, ends when a car tries to drive through them. It's absolutely a Charlottesville reference. It is. It's super fucking dark, but it's also like I don't know how they make something that dark that funny. Oh. Yeah, so they um So the men try to form this lynch mob, and then a car tries to run them over. And in response to that, all of the men in the town have a men's-only meeting and decide to vote Paul McGangus as the emergency mayor. And his first plan of action is to put every man over the age of 17 on a bus and send them out of town until the killer can be caught. And so at the same time, 
the he's put in a call to the police commissioner saying that like oh they released the lesbian who murdered all the men down here and the so the commissioner comes down to replace them all with male officers and they have this big raid where they arrest every woman in town for and they say that every woman in town has conspired to kill all of the men in town so the men all flee in a bus and then the police all arrest all of the women in a scene that you thought was uh, very poignant and I did shot. I'm not usually sort of a cinematography person but they they invade their ceramic studio <laughs> Where all of the women are doing this sort of like yoga-esque ceramics workshop. It's kind of weird. But like to me, most of what these women are doing is harmless. They're sitting there and it, maybe it's silly, maybe it's not. I mean, they're gentrifying. But like a lot of the things that they sort of destroy in that are things that are that brought people joy to create. And so there's just slow-mo of all of these cops in riot gear, all of these male cops in riot gear coming in and just stomping on the art these women created. And it just, it made me a little sad, even though, I don't know. I don't like destroying things I've created. I don't like it when they are destroyed. You say that, but... I don't have a punchline to that because I couldn't think of anything that wouldn't be really weird or depressing. You don't destroy the things that you create. I don't. I like, like oh, no, I think I a thought... dog ate a painting that I did at one point. It made me sad. I, th- I did think of an example. Oh. I don't want to talk about it. Edit it out and tell me what you're thinking of. It's about how you turn food into poop. We all do. We all destroy our creations. But it doesn't really work because A, it's gross because it's poop, and B, I'm the one who does most of the cooking. Yeah, that was wise to not discuss it on the podcast. That's that's a fun, that's we're gonna cut out that part, but you're gonna get what's to you sounds like an impromptu fun fact. Um I'm the Emerald Agassi of this house. Uh oh, is he? Yeah, Sonny frequently tells me that I take her to Flavortown. I make what does that a, have to do with food? I make a pretty good Nashville hot tender. <laughs> and the real question is, what does that have to do with food? Um, so, oh. <laughs> so. Well, you're looking at me like you want one of those Nashville hot fingerings tonight. I, I reserve the right to let you listen back to the phrase Nashville hot fingering to find out if you think it's funny. But if it's not, I will take it out. <laughs> I will lean very strongly. Taught Scooter how to cook. And then I. I taught all Emerald over here. Uh huh. I don't know. But do you remember Emerald's teacher's name? I didn't think so. Bam! Hit him with the garlic. You getting dangerously close to one of those Cajun impressions I don't like. Emerald's not even Cajun. Isn't he French? He cooks Cajun food. I don't know what he is. I think he's French. I think he's Cajun. Let's see. Let's I've look got, it up. Sonny, I've got surprising news for you about Cajun people. They're a little bit French. And a little bit 
you know what Cajun people are? They're a little bit French and they're a little bit country and they're a little bit rock and roll. Uh, he's Portuguese. Oh, that's why I didn't like his food. Why? He developed a new New Orleans style, which um, comes from his Portuguese and French heritage. What? Nothing. We're enjoying the Cajun History Corner. I don't have a theme song for that one. I never did the theme song. I never went back. Be and- Zydeco. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to do a Zydeco sound. Yeah, don't try it. Just Zydeco for us, honey. Uh, no. Zydeco. Zydeco. With <laughs> your mouth. With your mouth. Absolutely not. What that mouth do? That mouth do Zydeco? Look, look if y'all really want to hear some, like, Zydeco, just go look it up. What if, here's, how about this? What if we were going to cut all that out? I mean, I'm just going to say, baby, what that mouth do? And then you do Zydeco noises. Ready? Absolutely not. Baby, what that mouth do? No. Let's get back to the block. And then I go, <laughs> I go, oh baby, that mouth do some that good business. <laughs> Let's go back to the story. I don't know why I talk like that. We got to cut out all the Cajun Corner all because of that. <laughs> no, we can. No, I don't think so, Scooter. Let's go. I've, I'm a pretty good with that editing button. Uh, I can edit around that. I can cut out some real good stuff for us. No. The podcast will just be three hours of just me going. You laughed and it made me laugh. Your laugh is infectious. So where were we on the it's story? Like your, like your beauty. So they uh, we're basically up to the last episode. The women have been arrested. The men have fled on a bus, and they have figured out that some man in town who picked up Vic figured out what happened with Sam, went and killed Sam, and then started killing other men around town after that. And they determined that since it is a man, he must be on the bus. And dun, dun, dun. yes, so. The final episode, we find out that the bus has been hijacked. Phil McManus's tongue has been cut out, and he has wandered back into town. Yeah, that was a super gory scene. Sky has also Sky avoided arrest because she tried to leave town that night, and intercepted the bus, and is now with the men from the bus because all their phones are together. Yes. But they they're trying to figure out where they are based on the satellite location of all of their phones. So anyway, okay, here's how it ends. Here's how the show ends. Are you guys ready for this? The killer has kidnapped all of the men on the bus and Sky. They're trying to find them based on the phones. All of the boy police who are bad and dumb, they've chased the phones to a ferry, even though the ladies have already figured out that they don't even allow buses on the ferry. They find all the phones in a car and no sign of any of the people. So the ladies are actually on the trail of the bus. They find the bus has gone off a cliff. Everybody's really sad. They think everyone died. But surprise. Surprise, surprise, surprise. They find security footage from a gas station on the route. It shows the bus going up the mountain full of passed out passengers and a driver in a gas mask. And then coming back down the mountain half an hour later, empty except for the gas mask driver. So now they got a wood search. It's a classic wood search. You might have heard of a wood search before. They do one in Red Riding Hood. And 
I think pretty much everybody on the wood search gets eaten except for the woodsman, and then he cuts open the wolf, and everybody from the wood search comes back out. Classic. Anyway, so it's one of those. Classic wood search. <laughs> Who did I marry? <laughs> you married the future of podcasting, baby. Um, so they uh, meet up at a likely location to start the search. And they start calling the various campsites to see if a group of 18 men have shown up there. And No, they're called breweries. Breweries? Wineries and breweries. Wineries and breweries. Blame it all on my roots. I showed up in boots. And ruined your black tie affair. <laughs> you got a redneck yeah. noise. Hell yeah, that dude still sells beer to gay people. <laughs> what? <laughs> I love, I love Garth Brooks. I love Garth Brooks almost as much as I love Chris Gaines. Whatever happened to that guy, Sonny? <laughs> I think he used some makeup remover. Took the wig off. <laughs> Chris Gaines? Uh, yeah. Was there a wig? I thought it was just a fake soul patch. Might have been. I don't know. Is a fake soul patch still considered a wig? Philosophical here. It's a fake soul patch of Merkin. I think it depends on how straggly it is. All right, listeners, here's your poll question of the week <laughs> Is false facial hair a wig or Merkin? Discuss. <laughs> uh, email us your answers. Uh, we are at swappeoplepodcast at gmail.com. Oh, God. And reach out. Let us know. I've got push is notifications false, for that on my phone. Is false facial hair a wig or a merkin? If you come at me with an answer that is not wig or merkin, if there is some tactical term for it, I do not care. Your choices are wig or merkin, so help me God. <laughs> okay. So what are we talking about? Okay. <laughs> so they're doing a wood search. You're calling the breweries. Yeah, bur, bur, they're calling all the breweries. They're getting dead ends, and they get a few pieces of vital information all at once. One, well, they get one, and it leads to a few pieces. So, one, the murderer used a like task rabbit, which is like a I don't know if we have task rabbits here. You basically like hire someone to do like a little job for you and pay them. They hired someone to pick up Sky's abandoned car on the side of the highway that had all the phones stashed in it and drive it to the ferry. They find out the name of the person that made that reservation is the same name as a sex worker who was murdered in Sydney. Her name was Louise. Louise, like seven years ago. So, uh, a few things happen here now. Uh, Eddie gets a call that her former partner was murdered and was not eaten by a crocodile. Dulcie calls her former partner, who she had the affair with, to ask Anna. Hannah to ask about the murders that happened in Sydney and fax over a woman's, like another sex worker had escaped an attack from him and given them a sketch, but they could never find the guy and the murder stopped right around that time. And when the murder stopped around that time, they started in uh, deadlock. So they believe that the murderer moved and changed MOs. And they sort of deduce based on his profile that, you know, male serial killers kill unwanted people. And so 
basically he used to kill sex workers because he thought they were unwanted. And then at some point basically learned feminism and now he's killing misogynists because he still considers them unwanted people and it's the same mo yes so while they're waiting for the sketch to come over um they figure out that uh well uh, do we want to just reveal who it is because that's when the evidence starts all coming in it's hard to do it without using yeah so at the same time we see Ray Pye's, uh donkey, Lou. Who is still alive, not who is dead. Who is still alive, which means um, the barbiturates Kath prescribed for the donkey's euthanasia uh, were not used. He's been hiding this donkey, so that's fishy. Yeah, and we know he has the phenobarbital. And he did say he re- moved here to reinvent himself. Yes, and they, yes. And as, go for it. No, go ahead. As all of this is coming together, the fax comes in, or the text message comes in of the sketch artist, and it is Ray Pies. Yep. So the hunt is on. Uh, Obviously, uh, that's devastating for Eddie because her new boyfriend is a serial killer. Yes, and so while this is happening, all of the women are locked up together, and they are hashing out a lot of their personal drama, including um, Kath gets called out for her behavior and the ways in which it's selfish, and uh, the McMurray widow, is not McMurray? Carruthers. Carruthers. The Carruthers widow is called out for her racism and the way she uses her money, and so she manages to bail herself out, but nobody else, and... uh, that's all fun. Vanessa finds out that her son is gay. Yes. <laughs> Which we'll, we'll get to more in the epilogue because goddamn. Uh, and so eventually when those women are released, they get brought to, they, they discover. They don't get released. Fucking Sven. Sven lets him out, yes. He, Sven gets the idea that he realizes he doesn't actually want to be a cop. And so I guess he just decides to risk the job, lets them all out hops them into a van, and they go to meet Dulcie and uh, Eddie. That reminds me, when season two, if season two happens, I really hope it does, they're going to be investigating Bushy's murder, Eddie's former partner. And he was killed and went missing out at sea because they thought he was eaten by a crocodile. And Sven is going to become a marine biologist because that's what he got his degree in. He said he loved every minute of it. And how much do you want to bet he's going to help them with that investigation? God, I hope so. God, it looks There's going to be some evidence in a shark or something. Yeah. Um, oh, also, <laughs> at some point, uh, Big Eyes breaks it off with James, but I don't think James gets it. He doesn't understand. I think he fully understands. I think he's just a controlling prick who thinks he can talk her out of it and convince he's gaslighting her. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Uh, excuse me. It's pronounced gaslight. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, we're not doing this. But anyways, so all of this converges. And the funniest joke in the series for me was when she's like, oh, no, what if he survives? And then he tries to talk me into getting back together with him. And Dulcie goes, if he does that, I'll kill him myself. And she goes, thank you. That's really kind of you. (laughs) She's very sweet. Hilarious. 
basically they find out that he got the donkey from the person who owned the hobby farm that Kath put a down payment on, which has a lovely little glowworm trail. Everybody keeps talking about the damn glowworm trail. Because it's right next to a national park. Yeah. And it's uh, it's great. So they everyone converges on this farm. Uh, they find Ray there. Ray cuts out James's tongue. It's a beautiful moment for us all. He gives a speech sort of explaining that, you know, in the midst of his uh, serial killing in Sydney, he started working as a pastry chef for Sky, and Sky taught him about toxic masculinity and feminism. <laughs> and so he took it upon himself to move to this town and start killing terrible men, starting with her father. Yeah. So he does that. He stabs Dulcie when Dulcie comes in. So it's down to Eddie to chase down her lover slash the serial killer. Ray Pye. Yeah, he keeps, he keeps stopping to point out uh, beautiful landmarks to her as she's chasing him. Yeah, because they're running through the glowworm trail. And it's just this beautiful chase scene. He just stops while she's trying to catch up to him. And it's just like, it's so beautiful out here. Next time we should bring up, we should have brought a picnic. <laughs> yeah, he's fucking deranged so um they get out there and <laughs> he he's just convinced that they're gonna run away together and she's like you're a serial killer no um and so he finally gets close enough to her to kind of get her in a chokehold and hold a knife to her at the same time kath and the van full of women and sven have made it to the farmhouse and Kath, being a vet, patches Dulcie up and apologizes for everything because after she was called out in the prison, not the prison, the jail, after she's called out in jail, she realizes she's an asshole. Actually, not in the jail. The jail is too small to hold all of them, so they were in the boys' locker room of the football club. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> that's how the girls pop snacks in through the windows for them. <laughs> but... um. Yeah, so Kath apologizes. Uh, Dulcie's like, okay, great. Gotta run. Because they still love each other, you know? Um, so she runs. She catches him after and holds him at gunpoint. Holds Ray at gunpoint. So that he'll let go of uh, Eddie. And he basically, he walks out into the stream and they're like, no, Ray. And he's... My favorite part of this is he screams at Eddie. Tell me I'm the best ally. I'm an he's just always screaming about being an ally he's like yeah he's he has this he has this unhinged monologue where he says um he's doing all these things to make the lives of women in this town better and he doesn't he's doing it without taking any of the credit and he would just appreciate that if he would get a little bit of credit for not taking credit for this thing that deserves credit yes so it's it, it's it's sort of a callback to when they realize in the last episode why it's a man and not a woman is that the killer wants a pat on the back. Yeah. Because he keeps showing off how terrible the men he kills are. Yes. It's <laughs> Oh, the cinema aquatica. We missed that. Six bodies just bob up in the middle of the, the showing, and that's what cuts the movie short. <laughs> yes. Because he, he killed a bunch and then um, kept them on ice, basically. Yes. He, he Yeah, he's he had a bunch that he had kept frozen and then he stuck them on a car and sunk the car in the lake and then dove down to release them in the middle of cinema aquatica. So the whole town would see, and it was pretty great. 
I can't stress how funny this show is, despite how fucking morbid it is. But anyways, he he backs into the stream and he's like, I'm a strong swimmer. And Dulcie's like, that's that's a really powerful current. And it takes him and then he goes over the falls and then he lands on a spiky log. Yeah, it gets impaled. Um, So he's dead. And then as they're looking at his dead body, their radios buzz off and they're. <laughs> And it's the the men cops who were just like, oh, she couldn't be on the ferry. <laughs> They've already dealt with the whole thing. Yes, yeah, so they're still at the bus, and they they go, <laughs> they go. Here's <laughs> what they say because it's so absurd. They've just solved the case. The killer is dead. They're standing there, and on the radio, you see, uh, uh, urgent update: the men are not on the bus. Repeat: the men are not on the bus. Sky O'Dwyer has dragged them. Out and swimming them out to sea. Swimming them out to sea. <laughs> it was it was beautiful, but um. <laughs> so, let's see. In that time, do we want to go out over what happens to Widow Carruthers, who gets released from the prison early, or the yeah. locker room? Yes, because we actually have not touched on this entire plot line, but running parallel to the murder investigation and the lives of the lesbians in this town are these two aboriginal kids tammy who is a football player and very talented um the friend's name is the cousin's name i can't remember i can't remember oh that's gonna bug me but the cousin is very talented academically and tammy is very talented athletically um and Tammy wants to get a football team started, the Patty Melons for the girls, so that a scout could come see her and um, they could have a, a professional team, I think. Well, they want the sponsor for a girls team. Yeah, for a girls team. Um, and so she wants uh, the Widow Carruthers to fund that. The Widow Carruthers is trying to get her cousin to attend her school on a scholarship and even whenever when the cousin eventually turns it down because um the widow carruthers is kind of shitty to tammy the widow carruthers tries to get um the academically gifted girl to uh set her she tries to set her up for a crime of trespassing throughout this plot line uh they don't trust her and she's kind of disregarding them. So even the aunt dislikes her. The aunt early on tells the story about how they were going to get Carruthers Island back. Um, and then one day they just said, no, he doesn't want to do it anymore. Um, it's sort of revealed. She has been telling everyone in town that she would love to give that Island back to the natives, but that her brother opposed it and he controls their, uh, finances um, but it turns out the brother is the one who wanted to give the island back and so she killed him yes which they discover by going to the island because they think the brother is still alive and he might be the serial killer and so they're going to get some kind of evidence and they find her there and they say that this island is covered in tiger snakes mm -hmm. and she's been bitten by one yeah and so she's been bitten by one and they go to try and help her, and then they realize that uh, she killed her brother because they see his rotted corpse, basically. They see his skeleton, mostly. Um, and then they just let her die. 
that was sort of intense because she tries to shoot them. It's violent. Yeah, so they they just let her die. Um, can we talk about the epilogue? Because I think Vanessa deserves a happier ending. A happier ending than what she got, or? Well, I think we need to address her happy ending because it made me happy because I think maybe Vanessa is getting better. Yes. So Vanessa is sitting at um, the opening for the girls team. So the girls team apparently is created. And they're watching the girls come out. She has realized her son is gay. This is something she learns in the boys locker room. Uh, (laughs) And she's sitting next to Sven who has a date. And she asks Sven if he's ever heard about a rainbow family. <laughs> and he's like, no, I don't think I have. That, what a lovely idea. Because he's just trying to be nice to her because that's Sven. And she leans over to Sven's date and she goes, what are your pronouns? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty adorable. It is. It's very cute because she's very clunkily trying. Uh it, up until this point, she has been homophobic. Like the reasons she hates Sky so much, and Sky hates her, is she outed Sky, and and Sky never came out on her own, and that's that's when Sky left. But <laughs> it's very funny of, to watch her try, and it's kind of sweet. And I think maybe maybe there's hope for her that maybe she's gonna try thinking for herself a little bit more instead of relying on men well and i think that scene is that way for multiple characters because i think the message of that scene is that the town is officially out from under the thumb of the people who have been pulling the strings we see that phil mcang like during that scene it cuts to phil mcangus who's sitting alone at his football club none of his cronies are there and um vanessa is now you know she has her happy ending the mayor is there and i think it's sort of implied because she's happy and she's intending the thing that she's out from you know obviously she's out from under having her strings pulled by the widow carruthers um and it it seems like she was maybe even involved with starting the soccer team and then the soccer team was talking about how they're playing for um money to help renovate their uh rec center their tribal rec center yeah, it was a whole sweet ending, and then it jumps to <laughs> it jumps to uh, Darwin with Darwin is Ed- where Eddie's from. Yeah, it's where Eddie's from, and so Eddie and Dulcy are kind of getting out of a car, and then you see Kath drive up, and she's like, Kath calls Dulcy sexy, like that's her nickname for Dulcy, and so she's like, I love you, sexy, and then she'll lean out and she goes. I love you, Eddie. And Eddie's like, Ugh. and then she's like, what? I didn't hear you. I love you too. It's very sweet. It was very sweet. So like Eddie, who has kind of been folded into their family, um, now that Kath is no longer insecure about whether or not um, Dulcie's going to sleep with Eddie because Eddie is not into women. But I think also, Dulcie, it's Dulcie and Kath have worked on their relationship and they're yes. more secure in general. I think, yeah, they had a conversation that was good for them. And then, so I think I'm hoping next season Kath will be more likable 
but because I don't think she should lose that thing that makes her Kath, but maybe if she's Kath in a more supportive way, that would be nice. Yes. I think that that will, I think that will be the case because we thinking about how this mystery unfolded and the themes that it was about. I feel like that's a trick you can only pull once. Yeah. Like the idea of like, there's this pitting of, you know, the, sort of like performatively liberal lesbians and then the old school misogynist men and pitting them against each other and you're trying to figure out you know the first half of the season it's like oh one of these dickbag men got caught up in all this drug ring and is doing this and then the second half is like well maybe it's these you know overly performative liberal lesbians and it turns out that it was in between it was an ally who thought you know I don't know about thought, but like claimed that he was doing this for women. Mm-hmm. And so I, th- I think next season they can probably just like use the characters we've established and loved and just investigate this other murder. Cause I feel like if they tried to do that again, it would make it too easy to guess who the killer would be. Yeah, I agree. I think it had a strong start. I'm interested to see where it goes for season two. Me too. At this point, you will have already heard the first half of Throne of Glass. So our next episode, uh, September 25th, will be Throne of Glass Part 2, which is books 4 through 7. We're not doing any of the novellas. Yeah, so through our sort of Sarah J. Mossathon, there are two novellas. Well, I guess three. I'm trying to remember. Um, so we will not be doing the Assassin's Blade, which is the Throne of Glass novella. We will not be doing A Court of Frost and Starlight in between um, the Court of Thorn and Roses books and uh, Court of Silver Flames. I don't know if there's a novella for Crescent City. I don't think there is. But we're just going to stick with the main series and skip those just because. Um, one... Uh, it's just kind of a little cleaner to do that. And two, I, I don't know. I didn't enjoy the novellas as much as I enjoyed the actual novels. Um, so I would just prefer to stick to that if you're okay with it. Yeah. I also think they don't cover super plot relevant stuff. It's more just fleshing out things that are hinted at in the series. They're both a little fan servicey. They are. And I think for, throne of glass in particular those novellas are really just they're little vignettes the little vignettes and they're basically just covering selena's career before she went to Indovir. so it's not really stuff you need to know to understand the books like i think the only significant thing it sets up which they actually cover this in one of the main books too is her meeting uh a friend that comes into play later court of frost and starlight is I don't think you've even read that one. Uh Uh-uh. It was okay. People either love or hate it, but I kind of fall in the middle of, like, it's fine. We're doing that one. We're doing Mm -hmm. a whole whole episode on it. A Court of Frost and Starlight? No. Not the one that comes up. It's A Court of Silver Flames is uh, the... Oh, we're doing that one. Okay. Sorry. It's similar letters. Yeah, those books, uh, the naming convention kind of gets out of hand, I feel. What was the meme about that is a bowl of mac and cheese technically fits the Sarah J. Moss uh, title 
format. Yes, that was so funny. I guess, uh, whoever did that's very clever, in my opinion. If you're listening, you're clever. Respect it. That meme brought me joy. So, um, do we yeah. have the next movie yet? We may not. No, we're going to have to cover that. You're going to have to hear about that after Throne of Glass Part 2. At this part, at this point, we're filming this spoiler, and I guess not spoiler alert, but, you know. Recording. Uh, we're not filming. As, as we referred to this earlier, you know, revealing our podcast business to you. Uh, we are recording this between the Poker Face episode and the Throne of Glass Part 1 episode. At this point, you will have already heard both of those, plus Speed and uh, say and Deadlock, but this is the Deadlock episode. So hopefully you didn't start at the end of the episode. That'd be weird. Go back. Hey, <laughs> hey, you the one person who just skipped ahead to this part, rewind. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. So part of the process is um, Gudrun and I, I think me, me more so than you, um, but we both have ADHD. <laughs> Got it. And if we don't record right after we're done watching this, it's going to get all squirrely. Oh, you'll have already heard the Poker Face episode at this point, so you know. Yeah, so Poker Face is us having watched it a month ago, and we don't know what's going on, and we go on some tangents. We just remembered we really loved the show. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of similar to, I guess this is going to happen a lot, honestly, with the TV shows, because we're going to cover stuff we've probably already seen. This was sort of a rarity that it was something that only had one season and we could watch really quick. But like the Taskmaster episode, we had a lot of tangents. I'm sure when we cover stuff in the future, it's going to be very tangenty because it's just going to be us talking about a thing we like. Um, so I think have we covered Dead Deadlock adequately? Oh, I think more than enough. All right. So, um, all right. Uh, this is the part. It's our ad break, which of course we God. don't have. We don't have any sponsors yet. And the idea of blackmailing sponsors by advertising for their rivals has been vetoed by half of this podcast's, you know, executive board. The dogs vote with me. Well, they don't. Two. They don't get a vote because this is unfortunately a non-union podcast. We support unions, but there's only two of us. There's really no. I guess we are unionized because we are the union of matrimony. Oh God! But it's a different union than our. Are you dogs proud of that joke? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, do you want to be non-union? No. I didn't think this so. This isn't me asking for divorce. So, as you know, we do, we do PSAs in our advertising oh, Lord. segment now. Good we uh, In the Poker Face episode, we had a PSA advocating for your local Apex Predator. I hope that you're still doing that. If you have and you've taken some action, also email us. Email us, let us know how you've helped your local Apex Predator, and let us know, is false facial hair a wig or merkin? You can put that in the same email. It might be preferable to separate them, just it makes it easier for me if I'm sorting the emails coming through. But our PSA... I'm not sorting emails. Those notifications go to my phone. Our PSA, our PSA this week is unionize. Don't like your boss? Unionize. Honestly, even if you like your boss... Unionize. Yeah. If you can, do it. Pro-union household, this is not an argument about apex predators. Absolutely. Uh, no argument here. Pro-union, pro-apex predator. Oh, Lord. 
Are you not pro Apex Predator? I am. Let's not revisit this. We had a whole fight about environmentalism last time. How episode. did we have a, I don't think we had a fight about it. I thought we were both in agreement. <laughs> we are, but I think our oh, methodologies oh, were different. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that. We bleeped it out. Oh, did we? Yeah, although, yeah, because we made um, some suggestions about activities you could do with your local billionaire. Oh, here's an act here. You know what? Here's an activity you can do with your local billionaire unionize. <laughs> and we don't have Tell to, the billionaires at the union, too. We don't have to bleep that one out. If the unionaire, if the unionaire become a unionaire, that's the only thing stronger than a billionaire. Uh, we good. <laughs> Are we good? What do you mean? Are we good? We we got anything else to add? Are there any other corners we need to visit? Have we visited feminine feminism corner recently? I think this whole episode was feminism corner. No, that's fair. Well, you've been at feminism corner. I never got to sing the theme song for Sunny Soapbox Corner. Did I have a soapbox? Yeah. Oh. I'm getting tired. We've been here for a while. Thank y'all for joining us. Yeah, thank you very much for joining us. This has been probably our third best episode yet. You decide. There's another thing to email us in. Rank our episodes. Do it. Oh, my God. Let me know your favorite. Let me know your least favorite. No critiques about my wife, please. (laughs) She's perfect. Everything she does is great. If you have complaints about me, feel free to voice them. But do so respectfully. (laughs) Thank you for joining us on this podcast. I've been Sunny. No, I haven't. I've been Scooter. Fuck me. I've been Sunny. That's been Sunny. This has been Scooter. And as always, this one is for the ladies.